He put it about. It was because of me. It is tonished to act so. One of these days, Miss Markham, he said severely, your heart will break, and then you will remember the cartwrights of this world with pity. The colours of the ballroom and the voices faded and swirled off into the mists of memory. A chill northern wind blew down the bleak cobbled street. Elizabeth shivered and drew her shawl more closely about her shoulders. She must stop retreating into the past. It only made the pain of the present more acute. She was no longer the reigning petted and fetid belle of London society, but Miss Elizabeth Markham, poor relation and spinster of the parish. Her heart had not been broken by any man, but by the cruelty of her relations. On the day after that last ball, her parents had been killed. Her father had been driving her mother in his racing curricle. He had never been a good driver or a good judge of horse flesh, and his mettlesome team had bolted. The carriage had shivered to pieces. Her mother had broken her neck, and her father had been dragged along the ground in his desperate efforts to stop his team. He had lived only a few hours after his wife. The jewels and the clothes, the house in the country and the house in London all went under the hammer to pay the spend-thrift Markham couple's debts. The only relative prepared to give a home to Elizabeth was her uncle, Julius her father's brother, a dissenting minister who lived in the town of Bramley, Yorkshire. Julius Markham was a grim, sour-faced man who lived with an equally sour-faced wife and two spiteful daughters in a cold square barracks of a house in the centre of the town. He had long despised his brother's profligate mode of life, and was determined to apply the lash of Christianity to Elizabeth's back in order to flog out all of the seven deadly sins she had obviously inherited in full measure from her parents. At first she had rebelled. She had cried and screamed when all her pretty clothes and few remaining trinkets were shut away in the attic. As a punishment, she had been locked in her room and starved until she repented. Elizabeth had only pretended to repent, determined to get her own way in the end. But as dreary day followed dreary day, as the burden of parish visiting was thrust upon her, her spirit began to break, and she longed for each night to come so that she could lose herself in sleep. Two years had passed since that London season. Two years of drudgery and cruelty. She had been put into black mourning clothes, and it seemed was never to be allowed out of them. Her once fashionably cut hair was now long and severely braided on top of her head, her white gold locks hidden under a depressing bonnet shaped like a coal scuttle. That one golden memory of the ball had come flying in from the moors on the first breath of spring wind. How casual and flighty I was, 
thought Elizabeth with a sort of wonder. If only I could have foreseen the future, then I would have married the first man who asked me. During that season, she had pitted the girls who had to marry before the end of it in order to justify the horrendous expense. Although Elizabeth accepted that all women were expected to marry as early as possible, she had somehow dreamt that things in her case would be different, that she would be able to pick and choose. Other debutantes might marry for money, for safety, or the freedom from strict social laws imposed on all virgins, but not she. She hesitated on the doorstep of Number 7 Glebe Street, reluctant to enter. Mrs. Battersby lived at Number 7, along with her drunken husband and her six children. A year ago,